Do you like that noise in the background? It's the sound of progress. Actually, it's the sound of someone weeding and blowing. But that's progress. Yeah. I like that. That was optimistic if I've ever heard it. I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm an optimistic realist. I'm not an optimistic realist. You're just an optimist. I'm, I am an optimist. Nothing wrong with that. No, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, I want to plug an app. I want to plug this app called Blinkist. Have you heard of it? Yeah. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. The Blinks, you have essentially like five, seven, ten Blinks or chapters where they just paraphrase the chapter and they touch all the solid points of it. You're talking about for, for reading books? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's essentially it's kind like... kind of a, an audio cliff notes. Yeah, a podcast. It's really like the podcast. Yeah. So I just listened to the seven irrefutable... Laws of leadership. Laws of leadership. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I've read the book. Yeah. Um, but I re-listened to it and it was good. It was, How long are each of the... I'm sorry to interrupt you. No. The, each of the little blinks. There were 13 blinks total. Uh, went on a walk with the baby and I had heard it in about 20 minutes. 25 That's pretty minutes. good. You know, the circle, the... This, the circle when we sit and shift our paradigm, yeah. talking about, you know, if we, if we obviously pointing out negative things all the time, our circle of negativity just increases and our circle of influence and positivity and optimism just totally decreases because there's no room for it to expand. Mm. It's really cool. It's a self-reflective thing. And you got the email over the weekend yeah. that, that mm-hmm. was from- got it this morning. It was from listening to yeah. that. It just- I think it's important to focus on the on the small successes. So Absolutely. you pointing out someone leaf blowing. Well, remember I, we've talked about appreciative inquiry. I was actually going to say, that, sorry about the noise. Oh right, I really was, and no, yeah, you just shifted my paradigm. Yeah, exactly. There's it's progress. Things are things are happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. your hair good. looks good. Got it all chopped off, man. You look good. Thank you. you look really good. I um, you know, lost about ten pounds. Good. Cut all the hair off. I oh. mean. But uh, yeah, I was, I was, it just wasn't working. It just wasn't working. It's too much work. <laughs> I don't have that kind of time. Let's get it done. So I've shaved um, myself completely bald for those of you who can't see. Yeah. It's kind of no, unique. Not, like no. Mr. Clean, Pine Saw. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is uh, You'll Die Trying. I'm Jonathan Carroll. I'm Nathan Morris. This is episode 101. We're glad you're here. And Brent, we thank you for you. Bio 101? Um, yeah, I guess. College course. Yeah, and then there's like, how do they number them? So 101's like entry. Yeah. Why don't they just say Bio 1 instead of adding a 01? Uh, it's an accreditation thing. There's a code because you can have so many different kinds of oh. biology. So you could have like Biology 120, which is entry level, but it's like molecular or entry level life or entry level <laughs> geology or something. So... Um, yeah, there are all kinds of different biologies. You what if have. we, what if we did that with like everything, compartmentalized things with numbers? So, Doctor Carroll, you are my. We're having conversation number three twenty eight, which is a th- exhibit B, 
third level, <laughs> second semester, eighth class in. Yeah, no, that's confusing. Yes, it is. So when do you and Megan have your um, spousely conversations? At night. Yeah. At night. After the kids are, are gone down. <laughs> yes. Like yesterday afternoon, I said, it was like 5.15. I said, is it bedtime? I mean, I was serious. Is it yeah. bedtime yet? Can we put them to bed now? Right. It was, you know. You were tired. Yesterday, Frankie, our niece, first girl in the Morris family in 62 years, I said that in a previous podcast, but this is true, was baptized mm. and brought into the church. And so I, it was during the babies, our babies, nap. So Megan and I divided and conquered. She stayed with the baby. I took Anderson and Everett to the cathedral. They were very good. They're very well behaved at church. But after that, then they're down, we're in the Undercroft having a, a family lunch and cake and all the sweets and everybody's running around and climbing under tables and on tables. And then after that, I went home, they changed clothes and they went to a birthday party. Wow. It's a banner day. Heck yeah, for them. <clears throat> this is yesterday. This is yesterday. They're very industrious. Yeah. They were yes they were they were all over the place. And then they wanted to, you know, play and play. Could you imagine having just the of a four and five year old? I thought about that the other day. <clears throat> Excuse me, about how much uh children get to play. If they were paying attention, they would be so grateful for all the time that they get to play. But mm-hmm. they, they don't know that there is something else. <laughs> like chores the or The brutality work of the world. Or, yeah. So to them, they get bored so easily because they think, well, they would much rather be with us or, you know, um, watching something or playing something with someone else. And they don't know that given all the options that will one day be in front of them, that is their absolute best option is to just play by themselves, doing whatever they want to do. And then you get to our age and you're like... <laughs> That would be amazing. That would but, be so fun. But that happens pretty rarely. Do you know what I think would be really fun to do with you? Go to Legoland. Really? Yeah. You like Legos? I I really do. Did you play with them growing up? I did, and I play with them more now because I don't know. You have boys who have them. You know the boxes of toys, and it literally in huge print will say eight and up. Yeah. Megan has bought them toys that are like for eight and up for since they were since like they were, one year old. Yeah, she's like, oh, I can't figure this out. I'm like, do you see this big number that says for eight year olds? But anyway, I'm over there putting it together. They love the, they love the aftermath of it being put together and playing with. Yeah, and they like to watch. So anyway, I think it'd be fun to go with because you have a good mind and it'd be fun to. I'm terrible at those things. Re- yeah. I had uh, I had some Legos growing up. My girls had some Legos. Uh, they enjoyed them as kids more than I did as a kid. And then I had an Erector set after that, which is you know made mm-hmm. of the little metal pot, uh, poles and and different pieces that you can build things. But they were metal, like Tinker Toys, but upscale for yeah. older kids. And uh, I'm just not good at it. I have a bucket of Tinker Toys <laughs> at my practice that I um, I used uh. to do some play therapy with children. And this kid uh, the other day was, he pointed to a picture. The bucket is, it's an old Tinker Toys yeah. bucket. It has the, the like aluminum bottom and the paper wrapped around the cardboard of, of the bucket. And there are pictures of what you could build. And he points to that and he's like, let's build that. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And so I'm over there like, I'll do this part. And he's doing this part. And he's like three, four. And his part came out looking so good. 
That's cool. And mine, mine looks stupid. Looked like the Trojan horse. Mine looked like I had taken that bucket of Tinker Toys, thrown them in the middle of a highway, <laughs> and then after two hours of rush hour traffic, tried to put it all together into something. That's how terrible it looked. That blows my mind. I'm not good at that stuff. I'm not good spatially. It's just not my thing. I wish I were, but I'm not. I just weird. I mean, it's not weird. That's not the right word. I just think minds and things are incredible. Yeah, that is I, to to look at something like I'm not good. I mean, generally speaking, I'm not good uh, with construction projects. Like I can do some minor repair, and I can tighten a screw and change light bulbs and that kind <laughs> of thing. I mean, I can do some things. I know what a hammer is. I have to do some some projects, obviously, around our home, but I'm I'm not good at it, and I also don't have a lot of confidence in it. Yeah. So. I have it's just not how my mind works. I have two stories. First, I want to share um, the story of the the author of Seven Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. He was on a subway, and it was a Sunday. It's actually is this Maxwell. Yeah, yeah. This is a um, very calming subway trip. Yeah. For some reason, he said everyone was reading books, and it was quiet. People had their headphones on or their earbuds in, and then these two children and a parent father get on and they're running around screaming, whatever. And he's just sitting there with his eyes shut like this. And, um, he was very annoyed and he, he actually went up to the dad and said, you know, it was calm until your children, um, started to get on here and misbehave. And he said, yeah, you're right. But I just don't have the heart to parent right now because their mom died this morning. Mm. So the paradigm just shifted and that was talking about like so many different things of being positive and reading the room and, and all that. So it got me thinking a lot more about my surroundings and annoyances that I experience. And is there more to the story and who am I to judge this moment kind of thing? Right. Like on Saturday, we went to a wedding and this lady, which I think I, my thoughts are justified. Once she's tanked, like absolutely tanked at the church for the mass, like she's, she's tanked. Face is all red, just kind of slurry and stuff, and kept turning around and talking during the mass, and that's kind of like holy matrimony and stuff. So that's annoying, right? So I don't know what the positive for that would be. Um, anyway, that's just telling you that type of story and how it does relate to all of us in some way. The second story was there's a bookstore near a college campus. This lady who works there posted a status on Facebook to share her story of her favorite customer ever. It's a little old lady coming in, puts all these books on the on the counter and wants to buy all this chocolate too. And they were just talking about all this awesome stuff. And she said, oh, I love your bangs. I wish I could carry bang, have bangs, but my hair is too curly. And this is the old lady. And she turns around and looks at this young man who has his hands full of books who's waiting in line. She says, put your books up there. And he was like, what? And she said, I demand you put your books up there. I'm buying your books. And it was over $400 worth of books. He was like, no, you cannot do that, ma'am. And she said, yes, I can. And she forcefully, a little old lady, probably in her 80s, grabs them and places them on the counter. And she goes, oh, by the way, do you want some chocolate? And the guy's pretty much in tears, you know, this lady's kind gesture. Uh, and then she goes, oh, do you like the new Harry Potter book too? So she grabs that and puts it on there. He leaves and she said, the counter lady said to the old lady, why did you do that? And her response was, over the course of your lifetime, whether intentional or not, you will hurt people and let people down. And I choose to be kind, one, to make up for those moments, and two, because my son is a homeless meth addict. And if someone maybe were nice to him 
one random time, maybe you wouldn't be in that predicament. So this is what I'm devoting the rest of my life to. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll never forget, I was in college, and we had um, the big thing in, in, that, in my college, which, which was King College, now it's King University. In Bristol, Tennessee, they had a, uh, a ball, and it was called Dogwood and uh, you, you went to this ball and you invited, you know, a date and had dinner. But it was a, it was semi-formal, so you had to have a nice suit. And I was in college and didn't, I didn't, had not brought a suit from home. And I was like uh, almost seven hours away from home. And so I had been working a couple of jobs throughout college. So I decided, oh, I'll just go and get a suit, right, which I didn't know how much those were. So I went to the only uh, kind of locally owned men's shop in Bristol, Tennessee, there on State Street, and went in and um, got a suit off the rack, and uh, they were going to hem the pants for me and stuff. And so this uh, this man and woman were in there, and the man was getting tailored, and he and I started this conversation, and he was asking me about myself and that I was in school, and it's very casual, right? So I go back in the dressing room and take off the suit and put my other clothes back on and come out. And that couple had left. And I went up to the counter and I said, well, I really like that suit, but I think it's going to be a little too much for me right now. And he was like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. That couple just bought you that suit. And he said, and they want you to pick out a shirt and a tie um, and some socks to go with it and to let them know if you need shoes because they were going to take care of that too. So I immediately like, you know, tears well up in my eyes and, I wanted so badly to thank them, and they said, no, they really wanted it to be that you didn't know who they were. So I went back to my dorm and wrote a, a, a long kind of thank you note and took it back to the store and just asked them to give it to them, you know, whenever he saw them again. And I never saw them again. I don't know who they were, but that made a, a big difference for me. Um, so college kids, uh, meth addicts, parents with children, people who grieve, there is literally nobody on the planet who is not positively affected by kindness. Yeah. It's it's a choice to be kind. Yeah. So when you choose such a thoughtful thing to do, it's just a very memorable, obviously. How many years ago was that for you? I believe that. 15, well, 20? Uh, it was 1997, so it was 22 years. Wow. Spring of 97, my senior year in college. That's a beautiful story. It was. And doesn't that make you want to just do that for others all the time? 100% of the time. That's what I want to do. And I'm so fortunate to be married to someone who does has the exact same mindset, mm-hmm. and I know that you are too, I'm sure. So we we do those things. We don't talk about them, so I won't talk about them here, right. but we do like to do that a lot and that it just is it's just nice to to know that somebody is watching and Somebody cares. They don't have to know your whole story or your name to be able to to give you something that you didn't see coming that could really change change your day at least, if not if not more than that. Yeah, I think there are a lot of opportunities for kindness, really, for for paying it forward. I mean, you see a lot of people, like for instance, the the servers, you know, doing something kind with an extra tip or. A lot of people do the chain. Uh, you've heard about the Chick-fil-A yeah. paying for the person behind, and I think they did 82 cars worth one time here in Owensboro. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's really easy to do that. It's easy to do that stuff. It's it's about paying attention. Yeah, it's, and, it's about, yes, it's about paying attention. It's about remembering, and it's about intentionality. Intentionality. 
Um, you can do that. Anybody who goes to get a coffee or to get, especially like last night, I went to Dairy Queen to get us a little treat because yes. we were watching one of our favorite shows. Um, and what is it, Queer Eye? No, it's Madam Secretary. Oh, yeah, we just got into it. Now we're in season two, and uh, did you binge watch one? Uh, binge watch one season, season one. Uh, yeah, we binge watched season one. Well, we've been watching season one. We binge watched like the second half of season one into season two. Got it. And I was like, I, I have got to go get us some ice cream. <laughs> so I went to Dairy Queen, and you know, it's that that's that's a kind of that's a place where it is really easy to do that because right. people's tabs even for people who might be financially strapped in that particular moment, people's tabs aren't going to be very expensive. At a, at a, no. It's not like they're coming through on a bus getting a football team, you know, dinner and dessert. It's right. it's somebody like us who's grabbing something, a blizzard to take home to their spouse. And, to turn it. and that did. She turned it upside down and half of it fell out last night. No way. Yeah. And I looked at her like puppy dog eyes like, I'm so sorry. She's like... Nope, that's on us. So she went and made another one. I, mean, I was not taking Joy home a half cocked no. blizzard. That you, is not happening. I've never seen that happen. I've actually never heard of that happening. It had happened. I think it had sat there too long because I was four cars back, and I think oh. they made it as soon as the order came through, and then it sat there, and she turned it upside down, and all this, like, you know, melted blizzardness. Fell out onto the ground. So you walked over and got a straw and then slurped it off the counter? Well, well, you know how you're in the drive-thru. Oh, yeah. So you got a really long straw. You I, asked I for can't it. open my door to get out. So you rolled your window down. I climbed out <laughs> hazard style, Dukes of hazard yes. style. And there's like gum and quarters and nastiness and fresh blizzard juice on the ground. God. So I just, uh, just licked it up. I one time when I worked at Starbucks in Nashville... I worked the drive-thru, had headphones, headset on, kind of like this. I say, mm -hmm. good morning, welcome to Starbucks. This is Nathan. What can I get started for you? Megan's going to make fun of this episode because she always says I refer back to when I worked at Starbucks. It taught me a lot of life lessons. I've never heard you talk about Starbucks. Okay, well, there's this guy that pulls up to the counter, or to the window, and I'm going to hand him his beverage. He opens his door to, you know, as much as he can, yes. and he takes an old soda drink out of a Burger King cup and just looks at me and he's just pouring it in the drive-thru. Well, that was my job was to keep our drive-thru spotless and clean. And I just looked at him and I said, if you'd like to pull around and come in, then I can have you assist me in cleaning that up. I was so mad. <laughs> I was so mad. There's some ridiculous people in this world. Yeah. Or the line one time, it was really early in the morning, the line was out the door. See, we opened a new store. So it was like really either really slow or just absolutely booming because it was still being found out about, which the psychology of subconscious psychology of driving down the road and seeing a line full of McDonald's drive through makes us want to go to McDonald's. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. This lady is going ham over the fact that it's quote unquote taking too long. There's like 15 drinks ahead of her. And I was like, she all she wanted was a lemon, a piece of lemon cake, uh, bread. Lemon loaf. That, oh my gosh. They're so good. Iced lemon loaf. That stuff's amazing. And I'm just like, are you serious? Are you seriously going to make a scene, cause a scene over an iced lemon loaf? Here's yeah. your iced lemon loaf. I gave it to her. <laughs> like, get, get out. We don't want your ugliness. Don't bring the culture down. Yeah. I don't know how I got on that. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's I'm okay. just, I was, I was. He's uh, not paying attention. He's scrolling through his phone. Looking he hates into me. this idea of the psychology of marketing. He hates me. Um, 
because you're exactly right. If you're going to pass by a restaurant and there is a crowd, you're much more likely to go there than a restaurant where there's no one there. Mm-hmm. I think you're smart also to do that. What do you think that's about? Uh, well, there's that theory of, um, what's the guy's name? He started CD Baby. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he studied the first follower, not the not the fir- not the leader, so not the first guy, and he f- studied a video of a concert of a festival, and all these people are kind of sitting around. It's not filming the band, but this person was filming this person, and they were up dancing, looking like a fool, but having a blast, and everybody's looking around, and you could see the interactions. Everybody's kind of like, I- "I'm not going to do it, but I want to." And then the first follower of that person went up after about 45 seconds and started dancing with them. And then everyone went, and everyone who was seated seated were up dancing. Yeah. So it took the first follower, not the leader, but the first follower. Right. So I wonder if there's some applying to that too. Well, you know, human beings are pack animals. Mm -hmm. And um, we we like to be in groups. And so I think there's something to be said about what's called social herding. And that is people like to feel like they're a part of a community. So when there's the leader, the, that person already knows that the leader doesn't care to make a fool of herself or himself. They're just going to do what they're going to do. It's the next person who comes after that who is willing to say, I'm willing, I'm going to risk it. And I'm going to go out there too. And that is what sparks the kind of social hurting mentality. Every time. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool theory. And I was always trying to apply that too when I was in the music profession i think we can apply that to to everything with the the culture in which we try to create Mm -hmm. you know this kind culture whether it's in your workplace or at home the first one that jumps on board is the uh obviously sets the tone but more importantly it's the second person the person after that because they're the ones that get everyone involved Mm -hmm. do you want to go to a music festival and dance you're do i want to dance at a music festival. Yes, I would. I will dance with you at a music festival. I mean, okay. like like a goob. Yeah, not like we're we're not slow dancing no. cheek to cheek. I mean... Nobody here except you and me. Who's that? It's where I want to be. Nobody knows. <laughs> what is this? Who's this keep- beauty by my side. Okay, keep going. I'll never forget the way you <laughs> look tonight. The way you look tonight. Lady in red. Not the song. Lady in red. That's it. That's the song. Oh. Is dancing with me cheek to cheek. Nobody here. Just you and me. See, all I did was leave out the first part. Oh, and it ruined it. I couldn't figure it out. Oh, thanks. No, no, no. I'm saying it ruined me being able to figure it out. That's not what I meant. I'm sorry. I'm stupid. I'm managing. What does managing mean? Managing my inner... What does managing mean? <laughs> you, I've never managed a feeling in my life. <laughs> Can you use that in a sentence? I just put them on my sleeves and walk around slinging feelings everywhere. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here managing. Slinging feelings. That's a funny visual for me. Just like, yeah. Yeah, sadness. Now you know. That's yeah. what happens. Okay. If you're not managing, you're slinging feelings everywhere. Yeah. I'm a manager. Well, I try to be. I try to manage my you feelings. You do a good job of it. Yeah, I don't want... I don't want just anybody to know what's happening. Although I am learning the power of true vulnerability. Yeah. 
It's very true. Yeah. I learned that over the weekend too. It's just You these... learned over the weekend the power of vulnerability? <laughs> no, no, not that. No, you had no, no. A banner weekend yeah, too. I did have a banner weekend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I learned over the weekend. I was reminded over the weekend the power of vulnerability as mm-hmm. leaders such as yourself, myself. We have this facade that we have to maintain in a sense. I mean, you don't want the, some leader walking around moping and crying all the time. <laughs> yeah. Can you please wash the car? That doesn't set a good tone. No, it doesn't. People are like, nah, I don't want to get on his ship. Mm-hmm. That thing is a sinking. Right. So I think, but there's something about, you know, being a little vulnerable. Well, speaking of vulnerability, oh, I'm glad God. you brought that up. Let's throw a freaking crazy question at Nathan now. I'd like for you, would you please? Now it's a question. Uh, share with me something about yourself that you're really working on trying to improve. I'm scared of the dark. No, I mean, I am, but I'm not working on that. It's just... You're just embracing it? Just embracing it. Are you seriously? Uh, Not so much. Uh, Not as bad as I once was. I always used to have to like, sleep with the TV on and stuff. I said, are you seriously in my phone? Started talking. Because it thought I said Siri. Yeah. Yeah, it's stupid. It's so dumb technology. Uh, I am working on... I think I'm working better on... um, I don't want to say just time management. There's more to that. I think I'm kind of working on compartmentalizing better. Like taking in information, retaining it, seeing what I need to have remain or stick and then kind of sifting through that muck you know um so time management yeah but like task management more yeah more deep than just the time aspect you know if it's not on the calendar then it's then it's not gonna if it if it doesn't interfere then i can either add it nothing making things not be emergent yeah i know i'm getting long-winded but those are kind of things i'm really working on my communication skills have greatly improved I think okay. letting people in, people that are within my circle, you know, even such as yourself, my wife, just being able to say, hey, you know, yeah. the wall's down, this is bleh. Yeah. wonder why people have such a hard time with that. Because I, I know I have in the past year, we've talked about it a couple of times, but it's interesting. It's so much freeing, so much more freeing to let go of that stuff. I mean, it's, it's because of, of life-changing things that happen to us in our youth. That's, I mean, obviously losing a parent for you and then for me, you know, personal matters. And from there, you just find ways to to defend, 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 defense, yeah. defense, defense, and all that. Yeah. I mean, we're all a bunch of squirrels, man, trying to just gather our nuts and get through this life together. Good Lord. It's not, it's, it's really not easy. I've, uh, an 86-year-old priest once said to me, I was like, good morning. I was, I was very genuine in that. And he said, is it really good? And I said, I don't know. Is your morning good right now? He goes, hell no. <laughs> it's not, but he said it with joy. And I thought that was really cool. So we started to talk about that. And he said, this life isn't easy. I'm an old man and I'm grumpy. You know, and he just kind of went on. But I just, it was really neat to hear him say, hell no, it's not good. But in mm-hmm. the tone, instead he'd be like, no, it's not good. Yeah. I just choose your... Lane, really. Stephen Covey uh, is the mastermind behind so much time and task management organizational theory. And um, of course, there's the Franklin Covey planner that came out, and there are the seven 
habits for highly effective people and highly effective successful children and the, the Covey principles. Those are it's a big deal. He said once that we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge others by their behavior, hmm. which I think is interesting. We judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge others by their behavior. So what we do, we think about it in terms of what we meant to do. What others do, we judge by what they actually did. So it's our first impulse to build a defense of our behavior anytime our intentions are misinterpreted. So it's like, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to do that. What I intended to do was that wasn't what I meant when I said that. What I meant was I'm not a bad person. I'm, I'm, if you could just understand, right? And, of course, that, that impulse to defend ourselves is really hard to, to control. Yeah. Um, I think, though, that because defensiveness is such a cancer in relationships, whether they be romantic ones, family ones, or workplace ones, defensiveness cuts against the grain of trust and respect and accountability. So I think it's important to ask ourselves, first of all, are we interested in intentions? Are we just interested in actions? And do we have it in us to patiently listen and try to understand versus want to um, punish or make judgments? What do you think about that? I think one needs to definitely understand before being understood. Right. That's right. St. Francis and St. Augustine. I wholeheartedly believe that when you are a defensive human being, you literally diminish your the respect one has for you. Mm-hmm. It's absolute. I mean, I I really for the longest time struggled with defensiveness and yeah. reactivity, and it's so disgusting and ugly. And it's like, why, right. why, why, why? You know, like it, it's also this approach that you're not on a team either. You know, like if everything you say to me, whether it's in construction, love, constructive criticism, and I'm over here like, don't care what being defensive, you know, and I'm just reacting (laughs) all the time, you would probably, your efforts that you'd want to put in towards us and our friendship would probably minimize. You'd be Mm -hmm. like, yeah, this guy's annoying, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, That's what I think. I don't know if I'm answering the question properly, but I, I think understanding is critical before trying to be understood because that's a selfish approach to be wanting to just be understood. Yes. Understand me. You're not understanding me. And that's part of that defense posture. Yeah. I think the best thing that can happen, of course, from from the interpreter position, the person who is having to judge the action, uh, it's, I think, trying to understand and trying to be patient and to make some allowances for... Uh, bad decisions or for mistakes. I mean, that's all, but that, that's important. My interest, though, is from the person who feels misunderstood or the person whose uh, intentions weren't um, grasped. I, rather than ask, what can I do to make someone understand, I'd like to ask, what can I learn from this? What can I learn so that in the future, my behavior and my intentions 
will be more closely aligned so that there is no misunderstanding, Mm -hmm. so that there aren't actions to be judged accordingly, but my intentions and my actions align. If my intentions are to be kind and my actions are that I'm a not nice person or I'm not a giving person, I'm not a generous or attentive or compassionate person, then one must ask what's the discrepancy between the intention and the action. Because I believe people do what they want to do. If people want to be kind, they'll be kind. If people want not to be bothered, they will live in such a way as to not be bothered. They will look at you and dump their Coke out on the drive-thru because they don't care, right? Just, just so confidently stared at me like... Yeah, like, look look, look at what I'm doing. You know, like you know that person did that his entire childhood and never got called out on that kind of thing. Uh-uh. So I want to ask, what can I learn so that my intentions and my behavior are more aligned. When you do this, you're making sure that people around you are getting the message that you intended because your behavior matches the intention. Hmm. So I think as a leader, our actions must always match our intentions. So we have to know, let, let our and make our intentions to be known and then our behavior and actions have to always coincide with them. So I think just think about as you communicate with people around you what it is that you want to see happen in your business. Communicate that. Communicate the 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 um, the thing itself, the ding on seek, and then communicate the message behind that. Communicate the intentions behind that. Communicate again what you want to see. And then live that way. Follow through with your own actions that way. You introduce a new policy, say, in a business. You talk about the policy. You talk about the rationale that came uh, to give birth to this policy. You talk about how this policy will, will bring goodness to your team. You talk about the challenges that will be faced in trying to adopt a new policy. You reiterate the policy. And then you live into it fully and completely, expecting others to do the same. And when they don't, you try to understand patiently and accept the fact that they, you know, must not have completely understood. And uh, you give them a chance to show again. And then, of course, behavior shows what somebody, Maya Angelou says, when people show you who they are, believe them every time. You're smart. I mean, you are. You're you're smart, and that's important stuff to to note. I feel that I'm better because of you too. So I want you to know that. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoy getting with you, getting together, and talking. Yeah, yeah. Me too. So, uh, well, this is Bio One Hundred One. This is always for me. Relationships. Three twenty eight. Thanks for your conversation. It's upper level, but it's not quite where it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, thank you too. I hope that uh, I hope that you will uh, Nathan continue to um, be inspired for goodness, and uh, I hope that my behavior will always match my intentions.
And when it doesn't, I won't tell anybody. Okay, thanks. I'm Jonathan. I'm Nathan. Episode 101 of You'll Die.